If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Welcome to CBS This Morning. We're coming to you again from the historic Ed Sullivan Theater in New York, home to The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Why are we here? Because the CBS Broadcast Center, where Studio 57 is located, is temporarily closed out of an abundance of caution. So we are so grateful to Stephen, his entire team, Chris Lick, shout out to you, the EP who used to be here with us, for lending us their home while they're on hiatus. My favorite son had a funny line yesterday, guys. He said, you guys are really practicing social distancing. Yes. It's one, two, skip a few <laughs> <laughs> on your desk, which I thought was pretty funny. But we are. We're taking it very, very seriously. We're really glad careful. to be here. Very yes. glad to be here. We will be answering your questions on the coronavirus throughout the broadcast, but we begin with where we stand today. This is a track of cases just this week. There are now more than 14,000 reported cases in the U.S., nearly quadruple the total on Monday. The death toll has climbed to at least 205 people. California is now under a statewide stay-at-home order, the first state to take that step. Here's what Governor Gavin Newsom had to say last night. There's a recognition of our interdependence that requires of this moment that we direct a statewide order for people to stay at home. Let's bend the curve together. Let's not regret. Let's not dream of regretting. Go back, say, well, you know, we could have, would have, should have. California is the most populous state in America. It's also the world's fifth largest economy. Jamie Yukas joins us from Los Angeles. Jamie, what does it look like where you are? Well, Anthony, I am currently standing on the iconic Ventura Boulevard here in Los Angeles, and you can see not many cars around me right now. And normally this time of day, there would be some traffic. Governor Newsom will keep essential businesses open. That means things like banks, also grocery stores, where you can see there's some deliveries being made this morning. They also will keep open pharmacies. And here in California, that also means marijuana dispensaries will stay open, as well as takeout restaurants. But other things like furniture stores, barber shops, record stores, those types of things that you see up and down the boulevard, they will all be closed. Newsom said the decision comes as California plans for a worst case scenario where 56% of the state's residents contract coronavirus. That's more than 22 million people. Officials believe that could lead to more than 19,000 people in the hospital, which would overwhelm current capacity. But the governor says that this stay at home order is meant to starve off those worst case scenario numbers. And by the way, if you don't shelter in place, and stay at home, you could face a misdemeanor, which means also a fine, Tony. Jamie, thank you very much. And behind the numbers associated with the pandemic, of course, are thousands of individuals and their families dealing with heartbreak, dealing with isolation, and in a growing number of cases, dealing with grief. David Begno is focusing on some of those stories. A fourth member of a family who lives in the northeastern part of the U.S. has died from coronavirus. 
Seven members of the Fusco family have all tested positive for the virus. Meanwhile, in Southern California, one of the youngest individuals to contract the virus has passed away. 34-year-old Jeffrey Gazarian, a cancer survivor who had recently visited Disney World and Universal Studios in Florida, died Thursday in California. Also in California, there were images of another patient in an isolation chamber being loaded off of a private jet by workers in hazmat suits. Of course, he was very, very anxious. The 65-year-old patient was transported to Los Angeles from Aruba, where he tested positive for the virus. The flight was chartered by Jet Rescue Air Ambulance and was lined in plastic. Two pilots, a doctor, and a paramedic were on board. We basically started an IV and sedated him so that he would go sleeping all the way in the chamber because it could be very difficult to be inside of it. We are putting all of our healthcare workers at the front line. Um, some of them are going to get sick. In New York, medical student Ruth Howell has seen the human suffering firsthand. There are a lot of people out there who have a lung disease or high blood pressure or something else that's weakened their immune system. They're more vulnerable to this. For CBS This Morning, I'm David Begno here in New York. It is so important, don't you think, to put a face on what is happening in this country, for people to understand how serious this is. I think some people still don't understand. This is a very serious crisis well, situation. Well, all you have to do is see the way that man was transported. Exactly. Uh, how serious that too. But exactly. if you're not taking precautions right now, look at that and start. That's yeah. why they say stay home, stay safe. CBS News has learned the Trump administration is now planning to close the southern border today to all non-essential travel. Meanwhile, lawmakers are working on a plan to give cash to Americans taking a financial hit. That is a lot of people. The president is also pushing the FDA to fast track the drugs to treat the virus. Weijia Zhang reports from the White House on that. It could be a game changer. President Trump projected optimism on Thursday when he announced a drug called chloroquine, commonly used to treat malaria, had been approved by the FDA to ease symptoms of coronavirus. It's been around for a long time, so we know that if it, if if things don't go as uh, planned, it's not going to kill anybody. But FDA Commissioner Stephen Hahn quickly clarified that even though chloroquine is approved as a malaria treatment, the drug must still go through clinical tests to see if it's safe to use for coronavirus. So far, no drug is specifically approved for treating it, even though there are several candidates. We may have the right drug, but it may not be in the appropriate dosage form right now, and that may do more harm than good. On Capitol Hill, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell unveiled a trillion-dollar financial aid package to help small businesses and industries like the airlines that are hemorrhaging money. The proposal would also send direct payments to many Americans, up to $1,200 per person and $2,400 per couple. We need to take bold and swift action as soon as possible. But there are lawmakers on both sides of the aisle opposed to the idea of giving out cash, arguing it's a short-sighted solution. I don't think that's a good idea now. Can't stimulate something that's padlocked. And Democrats were quick to criticize the GOP's plan for prioritizing large corporations over individuals. It provides a bailout for a number of industries. Again, we have to put the workers first. 
The White House announced last night that the G7 gathering of world leaders that was scheduled to take place at Camp David in June will now be held over video conference instead. Tony? Like so many other conferences these days, Weisha, thank you very much. We want to get to our Dr. David Agus, who joins us from Los Angeles, to talk about possible treatments for the virus. Uh, doctor, good morning. We're all so hungry right now for any kind of good news. The president wants to fast-track a drug used to treat malaria for application to coronavirus. What more can you tell us about that? Is it promising? Well, there are two drugs, chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, that are approved, that are on the market, and I can write a prescription for today. In fact, I have over the last several weeks. And they certainly seem, in pilot studies, to have an effect on the virus and hopefully to make people do better. So this is real hope with these two drugs. And they're here and we're using them. And so it, it's optimism. And I was very excited that the president took that step forward yesterday. I want and pushing him to go further and actually say, use it early. Use it in people who are exposed because we have to stop the spread of this virus. So these could be preventative drugs, David? Well, right now they're treatment. Um, they're treatment with significant disease. You know, the problem is, is that when you come to see me, I do your test. It may be three, four, five days till I get it back. And what we know with these drugs is the earlier you use them, the better. So, again, I think people should be treated with them when we think they have the virus. And then if you're a first responder, if you're a doctor, a nurse, a healthcare professional, and you take care of a patient who's spreading the virus, maybe you should take them to prevent the spread. Those studies are ongoing. But we in the field cannot wait for those studies. And now we have optimism with real drugs that are here today. So, David, at what point do you give these drugs to someone who's been infected? And do you have concerns about fast-tracking these drugs? Well, again, I don't even know what the word fast-tracking means. The drugs are available. They're here today. So you may fast-track their FDA approval, but I don't care if they're FDA approved or not. We are using them. Mm -hmm. And so we're using them as early as possible in patients with this disease. And this is doctors across the country um, are talking about it and using them. And we've been doing so for several weeks. But obviously, when the president endorses it yesterday, use is going to go up. Yeah, I like it when Dr. David Agus says real hope. Yeah, yes. I, like I like that, that too. too, Dr. David Agus. David, thank you. The State Department is now warning Americans to avoid all international travel. Those currently out of the country have been urged to return immediately. But it's not that simple, according to Americans stuck in Peru and Morocco. They had police guarding the gates and um, said they I went up to try to talk to them and they said, you know, all the flights are canceled. You can't come in unless you have a ticket for tonight. We're really relying on media at this point to show that there are U.S. citizens that are desperately trying to get home. We want to make sure we're advocating for the other U.S. citizens that are here that, you know, might be running out of medication or they have children they need to get back to. Boy, this comes as FEMA's taking charge of the federal response to the coronavirus. Only on CBS This Morning, FEMA Administrator, that's Peter Gaynor, joins us to discuss. Good morning to you, Mr. Gaynor. President Good morning, Gail. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. We're all worried about everybody else. President Trump says he's now fully engaged at the highest level, that FEMA's fully engaged. So what specifically, what specifically rather, is FEMA doing to help? Uh, yesterday, uh, we began to take over for uh, full operations, coordinating the entire federal effort uh, here in the National Response Coordination Center. Uh, we combined uh, Secretary Azar's uh, operations center, the, the SOC, uh, here yesterday. So uh, all of government is under one roof. Uh, we're social distancing, and uh, we're throughout the entire building. We're teleworking to make sure that we can uh, do this, uh, respond to this virus in, in the 
long haul because it's going to be a long battle. So what's your, what's your top priority and what specifically are you, does this mean when you said we're all together under one roof? What are you guys doing? Well, my, my top priority is protecting my workforce and protecting the American people. So I've got to do both at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, the second priority is making sure that uh, we can respond to the coronavirus uh, like we are today. Uh, and we, we need to do that for the, the long haul. Uh, we have many priorities uh, that we're working on today to include uh, supply chain management, making sure we get those uh, requests filled by governors across the country, uh, and many, many other things uh, that we're trying to uh, untangle and make better connections. Mr. Ginnett, we're used to seeing FEMA uh, providing supplies and, and shelter in, in natural disasters. Are you equipped to handle a pandemic? Uh, we are. We're ready every day. Uh, so whether it's a pandemic or it's a hurricane, uh, FEMA is ready. And it's just not FEMA. Uh, it is really the whole of government. Uh, I have at my disposal every single federal agency, uh, partners, uh, uh, commercial partners. Uh, there's, there's nothing in my way from coordinating. Uh, and, and we're ready for today. Uh, and we, we want to be ready for uh, where we are in, in two weeks. Uh, and we're ready for a uh, natural disaster. So we're doing uh, both things simultaneously. Mr. Gaynor, could you put a little more uh, meat on these promises and these specifics here? Uh, uh, what kind of equipment or uh, supply chain management are you working on? I mean, let's take testing, for example. Uh, we know that tests need to be uh, distributed. More people need to take them. Are you coordinating that effort? We are, along with my uh, medical expertise partners, HHS, uh, we're working on everything from uh, testing kits to swabs uh, to PPE, uh, you name it. Uh, it. When it's in demand, it's in demand by every single uh, governor uh, across the uh, United States. Uh, we're trying to make sure that we have a, a way to prioritize uh, needs uh, based on requests, based on risk, based on we think where it's going to be today and where we think it's going to be tomorrow. So all those things are factors. There's enough heartbreak to go around. We've all heard the stories. But in particular, we did a story here the other day, Peter, about the health care workers that will break your heart, where they're saying we just don't have the supplies we need to help the people that need it. Is FEMA doing anything to help them to make sure they get everything that's available to them? Well, well, again, I think one of the one of the best things we did is we we combined operations. We tried to streamline the process. Uh, so whether it's a healthcare uh, uh, director in a state or it's an emergency management director in a state, those two things are combined. So all those resource requests are coming here to the NRCC, and we are uh, validating and and trying to fill every single need. However, uh, this is a shared responsibility. It needs to be locally executed, state managed, and fairly supported. Uh, the only way we're going to beat this is we do it together. Mm -hmm. All right. FEMA Administrator Paul Gaynor, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Four U.S. senators, including Intelligence Committee Chair Richard Burr, reportedly sold stock before coronavirus fears sent the markets plunging. One congressman is asking the Securities and Exchange Commission to investigate. Nancy Cordes is on Capitol Hill. Nancy, what do we know? Well, Anthony, these stock sales came about a week before the markets started to slide. As the crisis in Asia was coming to a head and as senators started to get daily briefings here on Capitol Hill about the looming threat, financial filings show that Senator Richard Burr of North Carolina, he's the chair of the powerful Senate Intelligence Committee, sold roughly between $600,000 and $1.7 million worth of stock in mid-February. Those sales came about the same time that Burr had written an op-ed assuring Americans that the U.S. was prepared to deal with a pandemic. 
But a few days later, he gave a speech warning that the virus could actually have major consequences here. A spokesman for Burr says that the senator disclosed the sales before the market started sliding. A Republican Senator Kelly Loeffler also sold hundreds of thousands of dollars in stocks starting in late January. She's from Georgia. It's worth noting she's one of the richest members of the Senate, worth about a half a billion dollars, according to some reports. On Twitter, Loeffler said that her transactions are made by advisors and that she wasn't even aware of them until weeks later. Democrat Dianne Feinstein of California, Republican Jim Inhofe of Oklahoma also sold large amounts around the same time. Now, there is no evidence that any of these senators had any inside information. Coronavirus was well within the public view at that time. In fact, if anything, senators were complaining here on Capitol Hill that they weren't getting enough information about the crisis in the briefings they were receiving here on Capitol Hill. It's all very interesting, Nancy, and I think a lot of people were very upset when they heard this. Um, you mentioned that there could be political ramifications, but are there legal ramifications if, as we, as what appears to have happened, happened? They sold before what they they sold while saying one thing publicly and doing another thing privately. Well, there is something called the Stock Act that prohibits members of Congress from profiting off of information that they glean as part of their jobs. But at this point, it would be pretty difficult to prove that they had inside information when coronavirus was something that everyone was talking about. Yeah. All right, Nancy, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the CBS This Morning podcast. Be sure to subscribe to get your morning news in under 20 minutes and daily podcast original. You can watch the CBS This Morning broadcast Monday through Saturday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. on your local CBS station or live on the CBS All Access app. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to CBS Mornings on the go ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Do you ever feel like there's nothing new in the news? You know there are urgent things happening in the world around you, but all you hear is noise. That's why we made What Next? Our goal is to tell you the stories you haven't heard before, or maybe a different side to the story you thought you already knew all about. I'm Mary Harris, the host of What Next? And I love my job because it helps me cut through the noise of the news. And then I get to bring it to you. Together, we can figure out what next. 